I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Revelation chapters 13 through 16. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. Well, let's begin with a note about the chronology of the book of Revelation. It was interrupted beginning with chapter 10. Chapters 10 through 14 cover personalities and events that fit into various places in this seven-year tribulation period. The chronology of events resumes in chapter 15. However, there is a brief five-verse introduction to these events in Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. In Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, we are introduced to the first of two beasts. Verse 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like a mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for forty-two months. Then he opened his mouth and blaspheming against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world." If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Well, let's uh, get a little bit of an overview here. These two beasts, Revelation 13, we'll look at the second one in just a few moments. These are men. On that much, virtually everyone agrees. The first ten verses of this chapter describe the beast that many commonly refer to as the Antichrist. Notice that the description of this beast is similar to that of Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, with regard to the head-horn configuration. What we know for certain about this man from this chapter is that he'll be an incarnation of Satan himself. We see that in 2 Thessalonians 2 as well. And he will rule during the 42 months that mark the last half of the tribulation. Daniel calls this anti-God act of 2 Thessalonians 2 the abomination of desolation in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, to which Jesus makes direct reference to that term in Matthew 24, 15, Mark 13, 14. He'll make war against those who serve God during this period of time. One of the most well-respected men in the study of prophecy is J. Dwight Pentecost. I've included a couple pages from his book entitled Things to Come, And the article is entitled, Who is the Beast? It's located on the right side of the screen if you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org. The details. Well, let's look at the details. Many view the sea in verse 1 as symbolic of Gentile origin. 
The seven heads and ten horns is viewed by most as a federation of ten nations headed by the beast, where the heads are leaders and the horns are nations. The blasphemy indicates his animosity for God. In verse 2, the description of the beast mirrors three of four beasts in Daniel chapter 7, the leopard being the Greek empire, the bear being the Medo-Persian empire, and the lion being the Babylonian empire. This merging into one beast must have some relevance here, although it's not certain what that relevance is. The dragon, also known as Satan here, empowers the man that is commonly called the Antichrist. In verse 3, one of the seven heads is seen as having had a mortal wound which was healed. If the heads in verse 1 are leaders, then one of the nations in the Federation was resurrected after apparent destruction, or perhaps one of the leaders was perceived to have been resurrected. We clearly see a worship of Satan by the world in verse 4, as he, the dragon, empowers the beast. Paul refers to this phenomenon in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, when he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The beast will be regarded as invincible. Notice the extent of the beast's blasphemy in verses 5 and 6. He will blaspheme what we know about God to be true. These 42 months here encompass the last half of the tribulation. And notice the extent of his blasphemy in verse 6. He'll blaspheme against God, God's name, God's tabernacle, and all them that dwell in heaven. No question, he's a bad man who's motivated by Satan himself. In verse 7, we see that the beast will make war against the people who have been saved during the tribulation. His influence will be worldwide, yet not without resistance, as seen in Revelation chapter 16. We are told in verse 8 that all of those who are unregenerate, referred to here as whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, all of those will worship this beast. However, we are assured in verses 9 and 10 that the wicked, including the beast, will come to their just end. Then we find the second of those two beasts in Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. Verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men." And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. We find in verses 11 through 18 here the assistant beast we commonly call the false prophet. As a matter of fact, he's referred to as such in Revelation chapter 16 verse 13, and also Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. 
If the sea in verse 1 means the first beast, commonly called the Antichrist, is a Gentile, then perhaps the earth of verse 11 means the false prophet here is Jewish. He's the religious leader and public relations guy who makes the people worship the first beast. He is described as a lamb who speaks as a dragon. Satan is described as the dragon in verses 1 through 10. He's powerful just like the first beast and is successful in deceiving the unbelieving world because he exercises some supernatural powers. Of course, those powers are from Satan in support of the first beast. He also has an image of the first beast erected for worship purposes and makes it appear alive. He's to the first beast, the Antichrist, what John the Baptist was to Jesus Christ, and he even brings fire down from heaven as Elijah did, we see in verse 13 here. That's particularly significant in view of the fact that Jews were and are still looking for a forerunner to the Messiah, according to their understanding of Malachi chapter 3, 1, and Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. I've written an article entitled, Was John the Baptist Elijah? And you may want to look at that to get more details. In fact, I'm convinced that one of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 comes in that spirit of Elijah as the forerunner to the second coming of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. So let's get the big picture on this false prophet from verses 14 through 18. He deceives the world through supernatural powers and institutes worship of the beast and his image. He's even able to give lifelike qualities to the image. Those who refuse to worship the first beast, uh, also known as the Antichrist, they will be killed. Hmm, it does sound like a diabolical Elijah, doesn't it? This false prophet controls commerce by marking people who worship the first beast on their hand or forehead. Without the mark, tribulation inhabitants won't be able to do business. Here's that infamous 666 we hear so much about. Incidentally, the state of electronic commerce in the world today facilitates the commerce scenario summarized in verses 16 through 18. Here we are in 2011 when I'm reading today's podcast, and we're very near being a cashless society with regard to business transactions already. With the insistence of the government that all receive a unique identifying number in their first year of life, it's not difficult to imagine that everyone may be buying and selling based upon that identifying number in the near future. Moreover, who doesn't believe that it's just a matter of time before scanning that number somewhere on or under our skin is not the way purchases will be made within just a few years? At that point, commerce will be very easy to control, and that's the scenario that we see here in verses 16 through 18. In chapter 14 of Revelation, we have some facts about the 144,000 witnesses. Let's read the first five verses now. Verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth." These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Well, no question, Jesus is the Lamb on the literal Mount Zion in verse 1. 
a new song of redemption is heard here, and only the 144,000 could learn that song. Remember the 144,000 witnesses that we saw first in Revelation chapter 7? Those who got saved after the rapture of the church went out and preached the gospel during the tribulation. Well, here we find out more about these people. They are unmarried men, according to verse 4. They were only the first ones to be saved during the tribulation. They're not all the saved. Other people do get saved, we see in verse 4. And they live blameless lives, we see in verse 5. Then we find three angels with messages in verses 6 through 13 of chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water." And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation." He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Well, the first angel comes with an appeal to the earth to turn to God. We see that in verses 6 and 7. The second angel appears in verse 8 to project the fall of the wicked seed of the first beast, the Antichrist, commonly called. And that seed is Babylon, which isn't introduced again until we get to Revelation chapter 16, verse 19. We'll see this in greater detail in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Babylon's fornication refers to her spiritual wickedness. The third angel proclaims the consequences of aligning with the Antichrist during the tribulation. Those people who accept the mark of the beast are in for a tough ride. Just look particularly at verses 9 through 12 to see what's in store for them. Better dead than red is the message here. Okay, I made that one up, but on good authority, remember Revelation chapter 12 verse 3? What color is that dragon who is incarnate in this first beast? So I'll say it again. He's red and better dead than red. A wine metaphor is used in verse 10, which actually extends throughout the remainder of this chapter. The harvest of wine here is a harvest of the lost. The lost go to a fiery judgment. These are the ones who will adopt the mark of the beast. We see in verses 9 and verse 11. The contrast is seen in verses 12 and 13 as we see those who die in the Lord during this period. We see the great harvest in Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. Verse 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. 
So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for one thousand six hundred furlongs. Verse 14 here introduces the second coming of Jesus Christ. So let's have a glimpse of the end with the assistance of three more angels, seen in verses 15, 17, and 18. We'll see the Battle of Armageddon in some detail in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21, but here's a preview. The Son of Man having on his head a golden crown is Jesus at the second coming, the end of the tribulation. The sharp sickle is undoubtedly an instrument of judgment. The phrase, her grapes are fully ripe, is probably referring to the wickedness of the beast, the Antichrist people, in keeping with the wine metaphor, verses 9 through 12. The description of the blood in verse 20 surely refers to the judgment of Christ on the wicked at the end of the tribulation. Whoa, you better be on God's side. Let me emphasize again, I'm convinced that today's believers will be long gone from the earth when all of this takes place. My position, known as the pre-tribulation rapture position, dictates that the rapture takes place prior to this seven-year period. In chapter 15, we see seven angels with seven plagues. Verse 1, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O kings of the saints." Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chest girded with golden bands." Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Well, this very short chapter of just eight verses introduces the last few days of the tribulation. The seven angels are given the vile judgments. As we mentioned in our comments on Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, it would appear that the seventh trumpet judgment shown there contains the seven vile judgments that are introduced here. You'll see from the description of these judgments in following chapters that the world's very close to the end of the tribulation at this point. The earth simply cannot survive the consequences of these judgments for any extended period of time. That's why we see in verse 1 that after these, the wrath of God is filled up. These seven vile judgments finish out the judgments of the tribulation. In verse 2, we see a sea of glass mingled with fire. 
we first saw this sea of glass in Revelation chapter 4, verse 6, we're told that this event takes place in heaven. Just a few days remain of the tribulation at this point. These who have the victory over the beast have been martyred, thus the sea of glass mingled with fire. In verses 3 and 4, these martyred saints sing a couple of songs, the Song of the Lamb and the Song of Moses. Moses actually wrote two songs, one in Exodus chapter 15 regarding victory over Egyptians and his farewell song in Deuteronomy chapter 32. This song of Moses is probably the one in Exodus chapter 15. In verse 5, it's worth noting here that the tabernacle and temple on earth were representations of that which is already in heaven. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Likewise, the eternal priesthood is that of Melchizedek. Aaron's priesthood was earthly and temporary. In verses 6 through 8, these angels are the ones who deliver the last seven judgments of the tribulation, the vile judgments. As you can see, these judgments come straight out of the temple in heaven. Notice the smoke in verse 8. This smoke represents the Shekinah glory first seen in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. God's glory in the form of smoke filled the tabernacle there in Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. It again filled Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 and 2 Chronicles chapter 5. In chapter 16, we get a description of the last few days of the tribulation. Verse 1, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due." And I had heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. 
And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Well, reading that, you'll have to admit, tough, I mean really, really tough. This chapter contains the last judgments of the tribulation, the seven vile judgments from the seven angels. Now here they're referred to in the New King James as bold judgments. So let's read about them. Number one, sores on the mark of the beast people in verse two. Two Greek words are used to indicate the intensity of the pain from these. The first, noisome, comes from the Greek word kakas. It's the generally used Greek word for bad. The word grievous comes from the Greek word paneros and means evil. All indications are that this is a global occurrence. Remember Egypt's plague number six? That plague consisted of oozing boils in Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. Secondly, the sea is poisoned, and everything in it dies in verse 3. The seas are turned to blood. This is also a global occurrence. All life in the sea dies. The word soul is translated from the Greek word suke. It indicates all creatures that live in the sea. Then thirdly, the springs and waters are turned to blood in verses 4 through 7. The natural fresh water sources are turned to blood. This all appears to be a global occurrence as well. How long can the earth survive without fresh water? Well, this happened also in Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, which was the first plague upon Egypt just prior to the Exodus. Then we see number four, the sun becomes vicious in verses 8 and 9. The intensity of the heat of the sun upon the earth is altered. The Greek word for scorch there is komatidzo. It means to cause suffering through intense heat. Somehow the righteous aren't affected by this phenomenon. Number five, the kingdom of the Antichrist is turned into darkness, verses 10 and 11. Darkness covers the kingdom of the beast. This doesn't appear to be a global occurrence. The effects of the previous bowl or vile judgments are still nagging at the people. They blaspheme and do not repent of their deeds. Now, plague number nine in Egypt included three days of darkness. Look at the notes there in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 29, and I also describe the phenomenon there that caused that darkness. Number six, the Euphrates is dried up, and everybody gets ready for the Battle of Armageddon in verses 12 through 16. This is to facilitate the gathering of armies at Armageddon, assumed by most to be in the plains of Esdralon, where many notable battles have been fought. The three unclean spirits of verse 13 come out of the dragon, that's Satan in Revelation chapter 12. Beast number one, the Antichrist in Revelation 13, 1 through 10. And beast number two being the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. These three summon world leaders to gather their armies for Armageddon. Incidentally, this is the only usage in the New Testament of the word Armageddon. And then finally, number seven, storm, earthquake, and the pagan city is destroyed. And all hail breaks loose. We see that in verses 17 through 21. This is the last judgment. 
There will be earthquakes which will cause major land shifting. The hail out of heaven is awesome inasmuch as each hailstone will weigh approximately 90 pounds. This plague will include the collapse of world governments and the Battle of Armageddon. You'll notice in verses 17 to 21 that a major transformation of the earth takes place. Ezekiel's temple, which is described in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48, won't actually fit on the real estate that now sits in Jerusalem, where the temple is right now. This supernatural earth-moving plague is necessary to make room for the millennial temple, which is huge by comparison. This chapter takes us to the end of the tribulation, but Revelation chapters 17 through 19, those chapters will give us more detail regarding these events. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.